So we're in the season of Lent. First Sunday of Lent is today. Oh, I'm sorry, children, you can be dismissed, whoever, whatever children want to go with Miss Eileen as they go to the other end. There they go. No, none of you adults can go with them. Lent is the, this is the first Sunday of Lent. And Lent, the season of Lent in the Christian uh, calendar is disruptive. And in a time when it seems like all of life, in some ways, has been disrupted, I think what we want to do is we want to get to Easter as soon as possible. We want to get to the hallelujahs, and we want to get to the celebration. And the truth is, in Lent, in the season of Lent, Sundays don't count as Lent. So today's the day where you can eat everything you want to eat, and then you got to stop tomorrow, right? you got to fast and all those things. But let's make sure we understand that Lent isn't really about what you do without. It's about making space. It's about making room. It's about making a, 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 a corridor, if you will, for God to get to you where you are in this place in your life so you can draw closer to him. And I hope that's what these Sundays will do. But it is a disruptive time, and we want to get to Easter, but these gospel texts we're going to be looking at through Matthew, well, they're probably going to feel disruptive for your soul. A friend recently told me about a great preacher. Some of you know his name. His name is Dennis Kinlaw. Dennis Kinlaw was a great um, preacher of another day. And he would stand in the pulpit on occasion, and he would say something like this, I am going to just lift up the Scripture, and I'm going to hide behind that. So let the Scripture speak to you, and don't blame me for what it says. And that's what my aim is these next couple Sundays. Because the text we're going to look at may speak to where we don't want to be spoken to or are uncomfortable with. Peace in a violent world next week. Do we really want peace in a violent world? Treating people as utilities and commodities for our own pleasure and our own purpose. Confronting the inner moralist within me. And so we're going to let these hard words speak, but these are words of grace because they are words that come from Jesus, who is grace and truth. But we're going to start at this place. We're going to begin with this advisory. Caution, blessing ahead. And when we think of blessing, we don't think of caution. But I think we need to do that when we come to Jesus. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to us today, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are you. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord today. Thanks be to God. Now, tradition has identified these as beatitudes. And the word beatitude really carries it the weight of supreme blessing. But they offer us an entrance into Lent that is unsuspectingly disruptive, um, in a good way. And what Jesus does is Jesus flips on its head our understanding and the understanding of the people he is speaking to. He flips on its head the notion, the idea, the perspective of blessing. Now, the typical understanding of being blessed, or let's put it in vernacular that we understand, living the good life, right, is this. This is the typical understanding of being blessed. We're blessed when we are experiencing financial and material prosperity. Well, you need to know, first of all, that the people of Jesus' day, including the poor, that's what they thought it meant to be blessed. So this is very consistent with what Jesus was facing in this crowd. We think blessing is when we can wield power and influence and have control, and we think that's blessing. We, we think blessing is when we have circumstantial pleasure and peace, and our dreams come true, and we say, look how blessed I am. We believe we're blessed when we are sound in health, and we say, God has blessed me with good health. And these can all be blessings from God. So don't walk out of here and say, oh, yeah, DeFranco thinks none of that's a blessing. Not true. Yet when these conditions begin to define, when they become the defining label of blessing, we make God into something he is not. In a very subtle way, and sometimes in a, in a not-so-subtle way, we inadvertently turn God into a dispenser of blessings and our faith into a commodity of religious goods and services. Because now we're just waiting for the blessings from God and we're just going to consume those. And now all of faith just becomes what we get out of it. And that's what happens when we turn God into a dispenser of blessings. And we create this very low view of God. And when the conditions change and we do not feel blessed, though, what then? What then when the conditions change and suddenly we don't feel blessed? Man, I was so glad that we sang Blessed Be the Name at the start. I hope you sang that song with honesty. Blessed be the name when the sun is shining on my face. Yeah. And blessed be the name when suffering is the road. That's biblical. When the conditions change and we do not feel blessed, then what? You know what usually happens? 
when we have that low view of God, God usually gets the blame. It's, it's always it's somewhat humorous to me when people you know, are quick to blame God, but not so quick to bless God for things in life. In honesty, I think we may need to ask a question or two. One of those is, is my idea of blessing more aligned with what I want than what God wants? Can you sit with that question? Is my idea of blessing more aligned with what, what I want than what God desires and what God wants? Or perhaps we need to confess, especially in this season, perhaps we need to confess, as, as Pastor Jay Kim says, we've been conditioned in a large part by our cultural fixation on pleasure. We're fixated as a culture on pleasure. Circumstances and socioeconomic position and health status and convenience and comfort and recognition and reward that fulfills dreams and wants, and we declare, I am blessed. But how often do we say that when the cancer is winning? When the crisis is paralyzing, when the relationships are broken and shattering, and by the way, some of the shrapnel from the last two years is that, is the relationships that are broken, shattering. What about when the attention and the adulation are missing, when the losses are too great and they seem punishing, and when the grief seems unbearable? You see, these words from Jesus that I read to you, these Beatitudes, they cut a groove into our souls that Jesus fills with his grace, redefining for us what the good life is. You walk down through this list, you walk down through it, and you may say, someone might say, well, that's not really how the world works. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Really? Is that what's happening in the Ukraine? You might say, this is not realistic. But the question maybe should be, is not that's how the world works. That's not how the world works. Maybe it's, is this the way the world is intended to work? Wesley Tracy said this, each beatitude contains elements of surprise because it upsets the usual way people behave. Jesus invites you and me to join him in being more loving, more forgiving, more merciful, more gentle than anyone has a right to expect us to be. I like that part. <laughs> but then he says this, that God will supply the grace. It's not something you can do on your own. But it's also not something you say, well, I can't do that, so I'm going to not worry about it. No. It's about God forming and shaping us. Now, today's task is difficult. Um, our view of this text is not that deep dive into what every beatitude deserves. And I've preached this passage numerous times, but never as a whole. I've always preached it, beatitude at a time, beatitude at a time. But today, we're pulling back, and we're giving the 30,000-foot view. And as we do, just look at the scene. Look at the scene. You see it in the first two verses. If you look and you see, you see that Jesus is speaking. Look who's speaking. 
And then look who he's speaking to. It says the crowds have come around him. And from our understanding of looking at Scripture and the world he was living in, we see his audience. It's people who have no power. People who are living in true poverty. People who were viewed as nobodies, both by the Roman culture and the religiously elite culture. People alongside of people who had everything they did not. Now, when I look at these Beatitudes, when I pull back like that, my temptation is to isolate these statements as nothing more than spiritual. Just they're spiritual teachings for me. I tend to isolate these statements from conditions like real poverty and hunger, true rejection and persecution, the horror and the sadness of the breakdown of peace that we call war, that Bill Lambelot and our men's group the other night said was a disconnection from our humanity. Good statement, Bill. And when I disconnect from those things, then the Beatitudes become nothing more than a spiritualized self-improvement plan. Where now all I'm doing is trying to be a better Christian. But the context and the culture and the people Jesus is speaking to do not afford me that option. They, they don't allow me to simply think being a better Christian is what this is about Look at the way the Gospel of Luke captures the same moment. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Rejoice and leap for joy. Honest confession, not my typical response. He goes on and says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Whoo. That's not, like, Jesus, that's not the best way to draw a crowd. What's happening? Jesus is defining what it means and what it does not mean to be blessed. You see, he's not turning everything upside down. He's turning it right side up in real life. He has a very different view of what it means to be blessed, doesn't he? It's very different. The, the word for blessing is the Greek word makarios. And it's difficult to translate. Some of your Bibles, some of your translations translate it as happy. That's not enough. We have this word blessed, and that's, quite frankly, that's not really enough. Um, I think maybe the best idea is this, being fortunate because of circumstances. Now, that doesn't make any sense when you read the Beatitudes. Because we don't attach fortunate to words like poor, mourning, hunger, persecution, and death. And that is where this gets flipped. Jesus says we are in a fortunate position. Now understand what this is not suggesting. This is not suggesting that we seek those conditions. It's 
not what this is about. Nor is it suggesting that saying thriving materially and financially is automatically evil or sinful. It's not saying that either. But I think in the devotional book, These 40 Days, and if you would like to get that book, we're out of supply, but you can still order it online. You can get an electronic copy of it. I strongly encourage it. The gospel passages on Sundays in that book is what we're using on Sunday mornings. But Jaron Rowell, Dr. Jaron Rowell, president of Nazarene Theological Seminary, who wrote the book, writes these words. What Jesus is talking about here in such a beautiful and poetic way is a manner of living where we take our cues, not primarily from the world around us, but from a focus on him that enables us to approach life differently from what would otherwise be the case especially in how we treat other people. And when you start seeing it, you start understanding it's almost like a decentralizing of ourselves. You see, Jesus is declaring a way of being in the world now. And Jesus, in his view of blessing, you have to remember, Jesus wasn't an American English-speaking person, but he was... He was living in the Middle East. He was living in Israel. He was probably speaking Aramaic. And so the understanding of blessing is more consistent with something like Psalm 1, which reads this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose life, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So when he starts talking about blessing the people he's listening to or who are listening to him, their minds are going back to stuff like that. That's where they're going. So the good life now, the good life is now the life that drills down deep and plants itself in God. That's what Pastor Mary was talking about when she read that proverb. It's a life that drills down deep and plants itself in God. Jesus said it this way in John 7, whoever believes in me, as scriptures have, have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Wow. It is this life planted in Jesus. Let me ask you, Good time of year to ask, are you making room in your life to plant your life in Jesus? Not in what you want, not in what your expectations are, not in what my expectations are, not, not in what I hope for, but planting in Jesus. I'm not saying we don't have hopes and dreams and desires and expectations. I'm not saying they're bad. But are we planting our lives in Jesus? That's what this is about. As someone suggested, Jesus puts himself on a list of hopeless cases. And that gives us the glimpse of the blessing that is found in the gospel. That these people with hopeless cases that he's referring to are blessed. Why are they blessed? Because of God himself. And the sufficiency of God himself and God meeting in those places. Jesus is with us. And out of that reality, we reflect a with God kind of life. That's what this is about. Read down through that again. 
It's a way of being. It's not a checklist to say, look how superior I am spiritually. It's not a spiritual self-improvement plan. It captures for us a picture of what it looks like to live the with God life and how our very way of being in the world changes. It's different. No longer are we motivated by the values and the structures and the systems of the world. But rather, we're, we're formed and we're shaped and we're changed by planting our lives deep in Jesus, where blessing rests with us. It is the personal presence and ministry of Jesus to us right now. That is what defines blessing, whatever the circumstances. What do you think of when you go to bed at night? I've told you this before, but what do you think of? The words, the last words in my mind when I go to bed, and sometimes I don't get through them, are the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, verse 4, I will fear no evil because my circumstances are righteous. Because my bank account is full. Because I got all the stuff I want. Because my side's winning. Because my side's right. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall chase after me, shall pursue me. That's what that literally means. I will dwell in the house. I will dwell in the safety. I will dwell in the security. I will dwell in the very presence of God all the days of my life. Sean Glenn wrote, by entering into our humanity through Jesus Christ, God pledged himself God pledged himself to us where we are, not where we prefer to be. By drowning himself in the river of our brokenness, God has given us strength by his spirit to take his hand and walk forward in the darkness of our unknowing. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have spaces in our lives that's, that can be described as the darkness of our unknowing. Because all of us have stuff we think about in the future that we just don't know. We don't know. We're not God. We have those places of the darkness of our unknowing. And I love this thought. God has given us strength by his spirit to take his hand and walk forward in the darkness of our own unknowing. I texted someone this week and I said, take hold of the hand of the one who has hold of you. That's a good word for us today. And that is what the Beatitudes capture for us. Pulling it back at the 30,000 foot view. What it means to be blessed because God is with us. So because of that, we walk forward. And the Beatitudes capture the ways in which our lives reflect the with God life because we walk forward with him into a world that carries a view of blessing that's far from what Jesus invites us to. So what does the good life sound like? What does the good life look like? What does it sound like? 
It sounds like Ukrainian Pastor Nabil of Odessa housing refugees in both the church and in her own home. Sounds like Pastor Andre, a pastor in Kiev, who's coordinating right now deliveries of food and supplies, diapers to single mothers and children, medications, trying to help people get out of the country. Pastor Sergey making continuous trips to the border, transporting refugees while navigating volatile areas. It's Pastor Svetlana caring for her congregation that consists primarily of disabled people. Get your head around that a little bit in that war-torn area. Seeing to their basic needs. What does blessing look like? Well, let me share with you some words from Pastor Andre Takye. As the city he loves is under siege. He says, my heart is steadfast. He quotes Psalm 57. My heart is steadfast, O Lord. My heart is steadfast. I repeat these words like a mantra a thousand times a day. Every time I see tears in my wife's eyes and I understand that she is just scared, but I can't change the situation. I repeat these words when I look into the eyes of an elderly woman who ended up in the basement bomb shelter only because she has nowhere to run. I repeat these words when I see anxiety in the eyes of parents who are trying to calm their children. I repeat these words when I hear from acquaintances that they have been driving for days evacuating women and children, but they do not plan to stop if there is still an opportunity to take out at least one more family. I repeat these words every time I hear of another church in Ukraine that has opened up and become a refuge for frightened neighbors and gives people not only temporary protection but also peace of mind. There's a lot of pain, a lot of fear, a lot of despair, uncertainty about the future, lost hopes and broken dreams. I just spoke with someone who said, I never understood what refugees are going through and now I am one of them. One of those who had to abandon everything that you loved. And then he says this. Listen to this prayer. And please, pray it over all people in Ukraine. And if you are just like us here, going through the most terrible storm of your life, remember and pray with me. My heart is steadfast, O oh Lord. My heart is steadfast. That is what the blessed life sounds like. Little perspective, huh? What are the things the last two years that we've made more important than they should be? When I read this, and I've read some pretty harsh and hard things from these pastors. The blessed life is the life that's planted in Jesus. And the Beatitudes are the way of being that we are to live out in this world. That is what the blessed life sounds like. Lord Jesus Christ had Have mercy on our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia and other parts of the world where we just 
have no perspective. And as we pray for them, may our hearts remain steadfast. There's no better place to turn to this morning than communion. Here's why. Because we're reminded, reminded that our Savior faces all of life with us because on the cross, he faced it for us. But please don't lose this when we partake in communion. We embrace the sacrament that holds the cross, which was the first century symbol of the lowest station in life the lowest failure, the lowest poverty, a total loss of control, a total rejection, and a total of suffering and death. That's what we wear around our necks. That's what we hang in our buildings. We hold that symbol to the highest esteem because Jesus took suffering and redeemed it. Jesus took suffering on himself and redeemed us. And what do we call this? What does the Christian church call this through the centuries? Eucharist. It comes from a Greek word, eucharisteo, which means thank you. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When he had taken some bread and Eucharistio. Today we thank God in this sacred table for the blessing of forgiveness of sins and life with him. Not only the source of blessing, but Jesus has the very blessing of God himself to us and to all humanity. Blessed is the one who has Jesus. Blessed is the one whose life is planted in Jesus. And blessed is the one who reminds the world of Jesus because of the difference Jesus makes in our lives. That is blessing. On the night before Jesus was crucified, I invite you to go ahead and prepare to Grab hold of that wafer. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks to the Father. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Given for us. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember what has been given. And let us give thanks. Let us partake. Jesus then took the cup and again he gave thanks to the Father and he gave the cup to his followers and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant, my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of many. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. My friends, before we partake, I invite you to confess your sins to God. Ask him 
Turn your heart towards him. Let us confess to him our need of forgiveness. Let us confess to him the things we've held in our hearts that have not been pleasing to him or blessing to others. Let us confess in him the ways in which we have sought blessing that were not his ways. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us and forgive us. And let us remember that it is through Jesus that even the sins and the evil of the world can find redemption and hope. Let us partake in the cup. I think we're just going to make a change here at the end. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. May you go today in the grace and the peace and the love of Jesus. And may the world know that Jesus is real because they know you. God bless you. You're dismissed.